Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. Our guest today is Valerie Peterson. She's a widely read commentator on the business of publishing, and today we're going to be talking with Valerie about the sale of film and television rights for authors. In this episode, we'll get into things like what level of involvement should an author expect after selling those rights? What's working now in the evolving world of television rights? Some of the crazy things that are going on with the adaptation of some classic books, what you should look for if you're approached with an offer from an agent or producer, and quite a bit more. Before we get to this week's show, I want to talk briefly about show schedule. You may have noticed that the weekly schedule has slipped a little bit since the beginning of July, and it's turned into an every-other-week kind of thing. That is likely to continue through the next month as I put the podcast on a summer-type schedule to allow me to catch up on some other projects. I hope to use some of that extra time to find someone else who can help me with the back-end production of the show. The person I had doing it, Jen, was fantastic, uh, but she's moved on to something that's very exciting for her. Uh, she's going from move it, from editing podcasts to copy-editing books. So congratulations, Jen, on that. Uh, but it does sort of leave me in the lurch, and I need to find someone new. If you know anyone who has audio editing skills and can write show notes or wants to learn how to do either of those things, let me know. It'll be much easier for me to keep the show coming out on a regular basis once I find that kind of help. Enough for the intro this week. Let's get on to Valerie and this week's show, which begins with me asking what exactly it means to sell a film or television option to your work. A lot of authors, I think, think that it's like fantastic and, and you know, it's going to solve all their problems to sell an option for TV. Um, so the two things I would say is, first of all, it's like if it's hard to publish a novel with a traditional publisher, take that exponentially by 10 times. And that's how hard it is to sell the TV or movie rights. We were talking about not having a business model for ourselves, <laughs> but publishing and film and TV have very strict business models. And the only way they're going to, the, the only way a traditional network or a studio or, is any, or, or a traditional producer is going to buy the rights to your book for film or TV is if they think they can make money off it. And the way they make money off of it is that it has a guaranteed audience. So that's why you see Big Little Lies on HBO, because Leanne Mori Moriarty has sold millions of copies. Mm -hmm. um, that's why you've seen The Handmaid's Tale uh, on Hulu, because Margaret Atwood is venerated, and that book is, like, iconic. And there is an audience for it. 13 Reasons Why on Netflix you know, it's a YA, huge YA seller. So those are the reasons, you know, like I was going to say American gods, you know, Neil Gaiman on, on stars, he has a huge following, you know, mm -hmm. and um, as authors, we create, you know, we create content, we create stories. Those stories have value 
And whether when that value hits the marketplace, when it's recognized value, that's when that's when TV and you know film producers and studios come come to it. Um, alternatively, there's the passion element, and independent um, producers or people who have you know funds to spend or can raise funds to spend for a passion project. That is also a possibility for smaller works, but again, those tend to need um, in the hands of, a, of somebody who can produce. Can produce. Um, I just uh, read something on Gary Goldberg, a TV producer who you know had Boku bucks to spend to nurture Must Love Dogs, the rom com through. Mm-hmm you know, whatever, but that's a, you know, that's a rare case. He saw the book, he loved the book, he had the money. So that, that's the, that's the first part. It's hard. The second part of that is that, you know, things get optioned all the time and go nowhere because there's so many hurdles between that option and the actual production that, you know, a lot of people just say, take the money and run. You know, there are exceptions there where people can get involved in their passion projects. But again, that goes back to bestseller, dumb and power. You know, if you're Gillian Flynn and you can you can negotiate writing the screenplay for Gone Girl because you've sold so many copies. Um, the same thing with um, The Help. If you've got clout as an author, uh, there's ways to negotiate that, but it's not typical. All right, let's let's dig into some of that because you you've you've given us a lot to think about here. Um, first, let's talk about the business model thing because you and I were talking before we came on air, and you referred to yourself as I believe. Correct me if I get this wrong. A, a reluctant uh, consultant. <laughs> yeah, I I you know I I spent a good number of years in book publishing. You know, as somebody who kind of digs deep into whatever I'm doing. Um, I spent those years in marketing technically, but I have a, I got very, very interested because I'm a writer in how everything else works. So I'm pretty well versed in, you know, the sales process as a marketing person. That's, that's, you know, pretty typical, but also the editorial process and, um, the rights process. So I, I dug very deep. I wrote over 400 articles for about.com. Now the balance. Mm Mm-hmm. As a consultant, I'm I'm I do consult, but on marketing and content and strategy, mostly for corporate clients, um, not so much for authors, except in situations like this. Um, that may change, but for right now, I feel like this is more karmic, and I, I, I and I have a very strong feelings about art karma. So. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, the the whole art karma thing. As we were talking before, it's like I don't really have a business model for the author biz, for the show. Um, I do this because I've gotten so much joy from authors over my 61 years now, and I I see this as a way of giving back, and I'm I'm happy to do that. It would be great if I could actually figure out a way to make some money from the show, but I haven't, and that's fine too. So I I keep doing it, and – Inevitably, when I have a guest, I'll ask them if there's anything that they want to promote. And I didn't even get to that with you because you said, you know, I'm, I'm a reluctant consultant. I don't, I don't really have anything. There, I have no agenda for this. And I, I think that's great. So we're just kind of going to riff on the idea of uh, 
film and television for authors because that is, as you mentioned, we all think that there's the possibility of that, you know, the the lightning strike, the winning the lottery kind of thing that can come from the right film deal. But we've all heard of people who have had their works optioned and nothing has come of it after five years, 10 years, 15 years. And I mean, sometimes it's 20, 30 years later, you hear of, of a work being finally made into film or, or television. I actually was listening on a blog post or on a, on a podcast this morning when I was running about a book that had been written in the 50s that's being turned into a TV show for TNT now. What's the name of it? I, I, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. I will put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'm, <laughs> but just, I can't, I'm, I'm just curious. It was, it was some sort of a, um, oh, it, it, the story is about a man in 19, 1890s New York City who was a psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever the right term was, before they had them. And they called them some other name, like an alienist or something like that. So the show might be The Alienist. Yeah, and that book is actually from um, – it's more recent than that, but it's not super new. I want to say maybe the 90s. Okay, all right, maybe that was it. It's, and I would highly recommend it. It's such an awesome book. And Yeah, the people on the podcast said the same thing. They said it was fantastic. It's really dark, but uh, they, they really enjoyed it. And actually, it's so funny. I live in the neighborhood that it takes place. I live right at the intersection, which was like – described in the book in New York City as like the worst corner of, <laughs> of humanity, the depths of humanity. I'm like, oh, that's my corner. <laughs> Hopefully you weren't living there in 1990 or whenever the book was written. I'm like, oh, but it is, uh, it is, it's, it's kind of a Sherlock Holmesy kind of guy, you know, um, you know, he's a, yeah, but it's really, really, really good. Um, and also I'm prejudiced because I live, you know, I, it's set in my neighborhood. It takes about, I will say it takes about 60 pages to get into it. It's a little slow to start, but once you get into it, it's awesome. Oh, all right. Now, I, now I'm definitely going to read it. I, so. I, was so, I, I forgot that. And I, I was so excited that it was be, being made into something because that's a, it's just such a great story. Um, so what I was going to say is that, yeah, a lot of, a lot of these options when they do happen, which is again, rare. And that, again, that was a huge bestseller when it was out. So it, and it, it makes sense that it would be, you know, but they're obviously mining old bestsellers mm -hmm. and it probably fits some kind of construct that they were like, Oh, we need something that's like historic, you know, like the Nick, you know, it needs to be historic and dark, but this, this, and this, Hey, let's look at the end. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, I will say that producers or agents, I should say, um, I know, well, I'll say that this, this works a lot in, in nonfiction TV, but again, this is a business and the people who are really deep into the business, like the agents and the, especially the big agencies, they get notes from studios that, that they get lists of things that say, this is what we're looking for. They know what the studios are looking for. Either they know by instinct and, and people approach them with material and they say, I know this is right for this. Or the studio, they, they, they get explicit notes from, that say, we're looking for things that have this, this, and this. I, I just want to say, because we're talking about things that have been adapted, apparently I, I, I clipped this some months ago because I read it and I couldn't believe it. But, you know, we talk about guaranteed audiences and you know there's iconic things and actually a couple out now um riverdale about the archie comics again they made it dark really made it murder mystery yeah 
and they like change the character. You know, like it's kind of crazy. They, they're taking any kind of brand, mm-hmm. seeing if they can kind of you know make some audience out of it. So they, they, Riverdale is a is like a murder mystery about Archie, okay. <laughs> and Anne of Green Gables. They made into Anne, but they gave her like a dark backstory. You know, I mean. And there's been some evidence that it's been hinted out of the book, in the book, et cetera. But, you know, really they're, they're looking to, you know, but my favorite was, um, the CW, I guess about two years ago, the, the description is the March half sisters work together to survive the dystopian streets of Philadelphia and unravel a conspiracy that stretches far beyond anything they ever imagined all while trying not to kill each other in the process. You know, and that's the name of that is Little Women, based on the book <laughs> Louisa May Alcott. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's fantastic! I know. So to me, I'm like, yeah, that's you know, that's kind of what happens. You know, um, I will say that, and that that was scrapped. I think there was just so much outrage about you know, like. <laughs> There wasn't a lot of enthusiasm for it because, again, you're taking beloved material, you know, the, they, they're twisting it to, to, like, fill a couple of different slots in their in their lineup. I will say that um, some adaptations work out really well, and, like, one of them is, I thought was really successful, um, and this is a film adaptation, but I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, and certain adaptations I don't feel... And I, I, my opinion is not, you know, a lot of Jane Austen fans like certain of the adaptations. I thought the BBC one from like the 80s was awesome. Um, I won't mention the ones that I didn't particularly like because I didn't think were honoring the characters. But one of them that was awesome was called Bride and Prejudice. So it was like the Bollywood version set in the present day, India. And honestly... It was in California, actually, and and um, it was so true to the story. It was a different culture, and diff- you know, it, but it, but it was so true to the actual story. And I think that's that's when when the adaptations get it right of beloved material. But but um, so I'm sorry, I got a little off topic of our our um, a- adapting you know people's books now. Um, well, and this is an interesting jumping off point in, into another question that I had, um, which is, if you're an author, how much involvement should you expect to have? I mean, you mentioned Gillian Flynn. She's able to negotiate a great deal of involvement because she's Gillian Flynn. But for the typical author, if if someone buys an option to the film or television rights, uh, whatever they call those, the dramatic rights, for your uh, for your book, should you expect to have any involvement at all? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and honestly, because um, they don't they don't want again. If they have a business model that they're going to follow, they you know the author is just sort of usually you know it's just a complication that they don't want or need. They're buying the material for certain reasons. To quote some an, an agent, you know. A, um, a film and TV rights agent that I interviewed, you know, sometimes they'll just shut the door and say, thank you. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not going to hear anything for another, you know, six months, year, 18 months ever, you know? Um, and just to go back to options, options have usually are time limited. So depending on your agent and, um, and, and you definitely, you, you kind of do need somebody to negotiate this for you. 
Um, but you know, it could be six months if the money isn't good up front. Um, it could be, you know, you could get an option. People can buy options for no money if there's a lot of passion behind it. They're, they're, the right, the deal can be constructed by the author getting money on the end. Mm-hmm. I, I know of, I know of at least one film producer who's made several movies that have done really well, who always just offers zero to the author, and yeah, presumably it does work out at the end. But it, yeah, it's not always a big bag of money. No, no. I think the author should always get some money, whether that's on the back end or not. Sometimes that's a better deal, especially if you have a producer who has a track record of getting things made. If if things do get made and are made well and distributed well, that'll always be good for the book. You know, um, it's always good for the it always it always boosts the sale of the book when when people come to it because the the you know the eyeballs that that the movie gets, even if people don't get to see it, you know, there's impressions that are made by just the advertising or, you know, the thing being out there. And you can put it on the cover of your book. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually that's a really good point that needs to be negotiated because there's so many rights attached to stars, pictures Hmm. and movie pictures, et cetera, that, that movie art isn't a slam dunk unless you kind of agree about that up front, just FYI. Okay, because and, and that's, it, a, that's a really good point because we see these covers all the time that change from the book cover to essentially the movie, um, I don't, whatever, it, the, the promotional material. The movie people should always, you know, should want that. Again, it makes impressions for the movie, but it can be a legal point because that those photos have rights attached you know, everything is complicated by who, whose image is it, who's even to the point of who's the photographer. You know, um, some books with famous photographers who take the cover picture or the author picture don't even have the right to use the author picture except in the context of hmm. book promotion. You know, that you could pay twenty thousand dollars for an author picture from a famous photographer and not even have the rights to use it beyond the cover of the book. Well, so that stuff, you know, is important to get negotiated, whether it's by a lawyer or an agent, a book agent's going to know, you know, a, a, a film and TV rights agent is going to know all that. And that's another point is that the person who, even in a traditional book deal, the, um, the author usually retains the uh, film and TV rights, the dramatic rights. So even though you're sharing with a traditional publisher, you're usually sharing um, ebook rights and paperback rights and you know all those rights. Traditionally, dramatic and, and presentation and TV and movie rights, all under dramatic rights, fall, fall to the author by, by tradition. Which means that a lot of agencies, most agencies, have people who who negotiate those rights separately, um, and that's a good. Th- I mean, it's a good thing because the publisher, what the publisher makes on that is just if if you're traditionally publishing, and I know a lot of your audience doesn't, but but um, if you're traditionally publishing, the publisher makes money on the book as the film gets done, but the author and the agent are really the people who benefit from the, 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 the film or TV or stage rights sale, which is a good thing. And you know? typically, 
typically there is if you've got just a literary agent, there's typically something I think called a sub agent that might yeah. come in and negotiate your your television deal. Usually, usually an agency is going to have somebody, whether they're on staff or whether they they you know farm that out to somebody. They're going to have somebody who that's their job to negotiate film and TV agents. And those people are generally really knowledgeable. I mean, if it's a good, if it's a reputable agency and a, a, a established agency, it's going to be somebody who really knows the marketplace and has, you know, and can, can not only negotiate the deal, but they know what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. They know what, they know what the market will bear. They know the trends and they see the trends way before we do, you know, um, they'll see things come and go. I'm, I'm kind of wondering now because right now we're seeing a kind of, um, um, I don't want to say glut because it's all good, but, um, we're seeing a lot of women's like quality women's fiction being translated to HBO. First it was, you know, big little lies. We've got, um, sharp object, which is another Jillian Flynn book. Um, we've got, um, Oh God, what was the other, I think Elena Ferrante, the Italian author who did, you know, my, my best, something about best friend or my something friend, my whatever. Um, I should know that, but I'm sorry. We'll put <laughs> but, it in the show notes if we figure it out. Yeah. She's a, I mean, I should know off the tip of my tongue cause it's, she's a huge author, but, um, she's translated from the Italian has been a huge bestseller. She was, that's a pseudonym I believe. And nobody knows who she, or nobody knew who she was till recently. So, so HBO is going to be doing her, her books. So, sort of this 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 movement of quality women's fiction onto HBO, which I think is very interesting. It's different than True Detective or whatever. So, you know, that might be a trend that stays, or it might just be, you know, until until such until what ha- usually happens is then it, something doesn't hit as well, and then the trend starts to fade. You know, there's usually like a a peak. And then it starts to fade. But but for right now, that seems to be a, a trend. It doesn't mean that by the time those shows are out, it doesn't mean that that trend is still going to be, you know, on. Well, let's let's talk for a minute about the author that's out there listening that three months from now, someone's going to approach her and say, I want to option your work. What should they look for um, from the person who's approaching them? You know, what where where do the best offers come from? It, I, I'm I'm trying to relate this in my own mind. We're all familiar with the way things work in the book business. So there are some agents that are tremendous. There are some agents that are a little on the sketchy side. Um, you know, you want to avoid the sketchy agents, and you want to work with the really high-profile agents. I, I expect it's the same in the movie business, maybe even more so. Uh, so do we have to be really cautious when these when these offers come our way? Um, I would say always be cautious because you're you're basically getting into business with somebody, and that's a huge deal. Um, if they're just optioning something, uh, and you know you've got one offer on the table, I would say look at look at the money, look at the length of the option. But you know because I'm sort of I have another foot in TV and and movie and that kind of arena. I would say that there's so many hungry producers that are trying to get things made, 
you know, and different from us writers, a lot of them can do things. And a lot of them, you know, they have to, they have to raise the funds. They have to get a production crew together. There's a lot that goes into it. So it's an interesting question because, again, in the agents that I've spoke to, a lot of them will say, you know, I won't deal with anybody who, who isn't, you know, somebody who's has a track record, who's gotten movies made, who's, you know, they, they have, and, but, but agents are also looking mostly to make money mm-hmm. and they're, they're, and they're very busy and they're hedging their bets. Whereas if you're an independent author and you've got one offer on the table and it could you don't know, you know, I would say, look at the person's track record, look at their enthusiasm for the, you know, for the, for the work, look at the likelihood that they're going to make a deal and really measure that against the length of the, you know, you don't want to give them five years of an option. You want to give them, you know, I think a reasonable option is maybe, you know, two years. There's, it certainly can be shorter, but some movies have taken 10 years to get. So you look at the option, you, 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 name a price or you give it to them free. And then in two years, you can reevaluate. Have they done anything? What's, you know, are they moving forward? If you were going to name a price and you're an indie author and you're, let's say you're making a quarter million dollars a year selling a series and, and someone comes to you and says, I, I would like to buy the film rights for these characters or this series or whatever, whatever the correct terminology might be. If you were naming a price, what would you name? If you were making $250,000 on your series, then you probably can get it. Then I would say I, you would hold out for a a reputable, you know, a, a a producer with a track record. Okay. And because because if you're if you're making that much money, you're selling a lot. You know, you're probably selling a million copies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and that's that's an audience. So then then you would look for a traditional deal and and somebody to negotiate it with you. If you have a little, um, you know, character driven, and, and if you're selling that on a series, you probably have a high concept series, which is also desirable for film. Or you have very beloved characters, which might be desirable for TV. But in either case, if you're making that much money, then then you've got a property that's valuable. If you have book that's character driven, that can be made on a low budget because it's character driven and it doesn't need special effects, it's a family drama or something like that that's getting attention, then you know, then you, then, then an offer from an indie producer who's going to be caring about the work and the characters who's looking at it as a passion project, then, then you, you know, you take a token amount, you know, a few, if nothing to a few thousand dollars or, or, you know, say $10,000, you know, but you put a time limit on it because if Mm -hmm. nothing happens, it's your property. So if nothing happens in that time limit, you have them renew it for a price or you take it away, you know? And if let, – let's go back to the hypothetical person with the series and, and the quarter million dollars a year in, in sales for that series. Should someone like that who is an indie author and who doesn't have an agent, if they're approached by someone from the film business, should they go out and find a, an agent who specializes in dealing with, uh, with that industry? Just sort of like we do finding foreign rights agents. Absolutely. Okay. 
because because first of all, if that's the case, you're you have if you have a sale that's that that is possible, that's your best chance of getting an agent to pay attention to you know that's, mm-hmm. that's you know and and getting um, you know getting an agent to sit up and take notice if the deal is almost in hand or if it's on the table, and then you want them person to that you want that negotiation. You want you want somebody who knows what every clause is, who knows the ins and outs and the pitfalls. I I think that's something that's easy for people to miss, um, especially in the indie world. If you've never gone through the traditional publishing process, where if your agent has a relationship with all of these different publishing houses, they know what to expect in terms of the terms and conditions for a deal. They've already pre-negotiated some of those things for other authors, and they're able to get you presumably a much better deal. I expect it would be much the same in, in the film industry if you got the right yeah, person. You have to remember that agent is making a percentage, mm-hmm. so it doesn't pay them. And again, they're, you know, what I'd say about all book publishing people is that there is an element of passion. You know, it's not, it's business, but it's not always pure business. They're looking at a lot of things. And yes, you know, they're looking at the bottom line, but they're also, you know, they're looking at, again, you know, are they going to, are they going to be hard nosed if it's a little family drama that, you know, whatever, they're going to look at trying to get that film made because that's going to benefit everybody at the end in the long run. They're not just looking at it the upfront. You know, an agent's going to, yeah, they're going to negotiate the best they can because they are getting a percentage. All right, Valerie, you have written extensively on this, and this is the way I found you, at Balance. Um, where, where can people find some of those articles that you've written? Um, you know what I'll do? I, I, they're all on the Balance, but they're kind of scattered. Okay. Um, if, you look up, if you look up book publish, thebalance.com, book publishing, you can find them. But since they've redone the site, they, they're not necessarily in logical order. So what I could do is, and actually I should say that there's usually links at the bottom to, or internal links that lead you to the other ones. But I can do is in the next day, um, roll them up on my website if people want to look. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll just throw them, you know, like, like your notes, I'll put them in my notes. Okay, uh, so I will link to your notes then in, uh, in my notes for, for the show. And um, where can people learn more about you and your reluctant consultancy? <laughs> well, my, my writer's website is ValeriePeterson.net. And then I just, I just started a fledgling, um, because really for my, all of my consulting, my corporate and my author um, place, because again, the balance is kind of scattered. I thought I should probably have a lot of this in one spot. Um, and it's, it's contentment.biz. Um, and, and it's not officially launched yet, but people can go on and put their email in and then I'll let them know when, when it's launched. Contentment as in I am content? It's, uh, it's content, C-O-N-T-E-N-T, M, no space, capital M-E-A-N-T. Okay. Dot, dot biz. So it's con- con- contentment. So dot biz. Got it. Um, which is a lot about, you know, parlaying. I'm a, I'm a content strategist and, you know, content marketer. But um, on the author side, you know, we create content. And I, you don't like to diminish it. I mean, it's not diminishing it, but there's ways of parlaying that content to greater heights by sort of knowing some of this stuff, like how does, you know, how film rights work. 
so anyway, so that's what I hope to be doing there, doing what the balance isn't doing right now, which is kind of mushing everything together in a, in a cohesive way. It's kind of a little scattered. It's SEO driven now. So it, it took away like the order of things, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it makes it harder to find individual, you know, topics. So I was hoping to pull it together a little bit for, for people who want, who want it on, um, on this site. Well, I can tell people based on what I've read that, that what you're putting together at the new site is, is going to be very worthwhile. So I, I'm happy to link to it, and I would encourage people to not only find you on balance and, and see some of these articles that we will link to in the show notes, but to uh, go to the new website as well and sign up so that you can be notified when the time comes. Because you're, I don't know, you're, you're sort of a thought leader in this space, and uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy following your thoughts as, as we go forward. That's, thank you so much, Steve. That's very sweet of you to say. I really appreciate it. Valerie, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, thank you, everyone out there, for listening. As always, as I mentioned over and over and over again, we'll have show notes with links to everything we mentioned at theauthorbiz.com. <laughs>